Sweet. Yeah, so everyone sounded pretty disappointed that we – this is our last Kyle, right? I I got mixed feelings. I'm like, man, it's our last Kyle, but you got like a month off, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, that's not bad. So, yeah, uh, been talking about the Beatitudes. If you guys like that? Yeah? Okay, good. <laughs> Hopefully. I, I've, like, learned a ton. I've, like, grown a ton. I feel like it's been – it's been, like – yeah, I don't know. I've never heard anybody preach about the Beatitudes before and, you know, gone through like a whole semester talking about it. I was like, man, it's like that long. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> that's kind of crazy. But, yeah, I'm just going to jump in tonight. So, I'm going to tell you guys a story. <laughs> it's a pretty sad story, for real. And you know it's sad because of the way it begins, okay? When I was, uh, I think I, I must have been like a junior in college on one of the breaks, either spring break or... um you know, summer break or whatever, we went camping, okay? But we went camping in Oklahoma. You know it's a bad story. It can't get better. The only point that this story can be good is, is when we leave Oklahoma. So we go <laughs> go Oklahoma. We like, you know, camping's fun. So it's pretty there. It's pretty much the only thing they got going for them. And so they got, uh, you know, we got all our camping supplies. We got our tents, sleeping bags, all this stuff. We got food, like a three- or four-day trip. And, you know, we set up, we set up camp, and then we start making dinner the first night. <laughs> and y'all y'all probably, this doesn't happen often, but I think it happens to everybody at least once. You, like, look up, and you're like, oh, this is awesome, man. And then you're like, there's my best friend. There's one of my other really close friends. And then you're like, there's this guy, and how did this group, like, come together? You know what I'm saying? Like, like y- it's never before the fact. Like, when you're inviting people, you're never like, oh, this is going to be weird or, or anything. It's always after. You're like, how did this happen, right? Well, that's where I got to. Pretty weird situation. And uh, it, it, like, it wasn't bad at first. But then about the third night, we're at the campfire. And one of the people there um, is kind of, like, kind of, like, talking about me. And I'm like, dude, what is, what is this guy's problem? And then they just like they just start going off on me, and I'm like, man, I'm just I'm just trying to like make a s'more, you know, like why why are you freaking out? And this is obviously one of those people that I'm like, why, you know? And then in my mind, like, why are you here? You know, what I mean, like you've got this kind of like entitlement or whatever, and and so they're talking about me, and I'm like, hey man, I'm right here, you know, I can hear you or whatever, and I'm like, you want to ask me some questions? And <laughs> they, then they just start like digging in, they're like questioning me questioning my motives, all this stuff, and I'm I'm getting, like, pretty defensive. You know, like, you, like, actually start getting hot. You know what I'm talking about? Man, it was bad. And so here's what I think. I get to this position, and I get to the point where I'm like, you know what? Enough is enough. I am going to set this person straight. You know what I'm saying? Y'all been there before? Okay. It's, it's kind of fun to be there because you get to plan, like, every mean thing you're going to say. And then you're the, – but the result is always the same. The result in your mind – is I'm going to set this person straight. Not only are they going to change their mind about me, they're actually going to think highly of me, right? They're going to, like, apologize and feel bad about themselves, right? Like, all this stuff is going on in your mind. That's what I was going through. So I do it, and then none of those results happened. I just felt stupid. I looked stupid. My friends that were there were like, Charles, shut up. Like, what are you doing? Like, chill out, you know? And... And I was, I'm like so mad and I'm and I'm like in the end I'm mad at myself 
And so I, like, go off, like, by myself for, like, two hours, right, just to kind of, like, cool down. And I'm just like, man, why did I do that? Why did I fight so hard to defend myself against this person? And I'm like, I'm not really that. Like, what do they know? You know what I'm saying? And and I realized it's because what they were saying was challenging what I found my identity in, okay? And so I was like, man, this is something I, like, really protected, what they were saying about me, I was, I was like willing to go down with. So Jesus talks about this. He says, blessed are you. Matthew 5, 11 and 12, he says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So I'm going to pray real quick, and then uh, we'll get into this. So, Jesus, we love you. Um, God, would you speak to our hearts tonight, Father? Um, would you reveal things about us? We'll reveal things about you. And, uh, and help us to go away changed, Lord. Help us to go into this break um, strong and equipped by you. We love you, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Yeah, so it's a pretty cool verse. Similar to what Sean talked about, hopefully this isn't just like a like, yeah, I've heard this all before, you know, <laughs> tried to make it that way. So I'm going to talk about one of my heroes. His name's William Booth, right? Okay, so if you, not many people know who he is. And if you, you're like, you hear what he started, you're going to be like, oh, that's pretty lame. So he started the Salvation Army, okay? I'm talking about, not talking about that, you know, that kind of goofy store down the street where you can, hey, if you're looking for Christmas stuff, you can find it there, and you're going to find it cheap because it's junk. Um, but he didn't come. He's not my hero because he started this kind of like junk drawer store or anything like that. He started the Salvation Army back in the 1800s. London was like in a terrible, terrible, terrible place. Okay. London, big, one of like the most powerful cities back then, um, was like poverty was high, high, high. Alcoholism was high. You know, it's a bad city when like child prostitution's like at an all time high, like all this crazy stuff is going on. And William Booth is like, you know what? He's like, no, this is, this is not worth it. I'm going to build an army to fight against all these things that's going on in London. But he knew one thing. He wasn't just about, like, giving away money or food or anything like that. He knew that there, the real problem there was a lack of Jesus. And so he went in, and, he, yeah, he raised money. He gave food away. He took in orphans. He took in, uh, he, like, busted up. It's crazy the stories about him. Um, but primarily, he, like, he brought the light of the gospel to, to London. And so he asked these questions. And this is like a pretty quick quote from him, hopefully. Yeah. He says, what are you living for? What is the deep secret purpose that controls and fashions your existence? What do you eat and drink for? What is the end of your marrying and giving in marriage, your money making and toilings and plannings? And as you're thinking about all these questions that he's asking, it's like a pretty big deal. You're like, oh, shoot, I don't know. Um, think about this. Think about if, if, any, if you realize like, oh, this is what this is, or, you know, I would put this in this category. What if that was opposed? Okay, how would you react if any of this stuff was kind of like come up against and said, hey, you know what? This actually isn't worth living for. Would you be like pretty defensive? Most likely, right? Um, which is good. So. We're going to talk about reactions. We're going to talk about what Jesus said about it. We've been talking about the world and the upside-down kingdom all semester. If this is like your, you know, first or 
second or third time, and you're like, why do y'all keep saying that? I don't, remember, I don't even know what that is. The world, just think of it this way. The world is society. It's the way we were brought up. It's our families. It's our homes. It's America. It's West Virginia, okay? Um, the world. The upside-down kingdom is just a nickname we gave to the kingdom of God. Um, the reason that we call it that is because in uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus gives this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, and he basically contrasts what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God looks like compared to what you kind of like grew up thinking, okay? And so whenever he's, whenever we're talking about the upside down kingdom, we're just talking about the kingdom of God. That wasn't a new idea. Jesus said it a long time ago. That's where it comes from, okay? So we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at the world, and we're going to look at the upside down kingdom. We're going to start out looking at the world. How do they react when what they live for is opposed. Just like I did, okay? I told that story. That wasn't just a funny story, although it was. We did end up leaving Oklahoma, which was good news. Pretty much the only good thing. <laughs> um, and what I did, I was like, you know what? I'm going to stick up for myself. I'm going to defend myself. I'm going to show this person kind of who's boss or put them in their place to set them straight, right? So that's one way you can do that. That's, that's kind of what the world says to do. The world is all about fighting for causes, okay? But they're not very concerned with fighting for people, okay? They are mostly interested in winning a battle or maybe gaining a little ground on how people feel, and they're not interested in how people live. They're not, they're not concerned with that. But here's the good news. In the world, when you fight for a cause, you always get a reward. It's actually pretty sweet. It's kind of like the only good thing I'm going to say. <laughs> um, you always get a reward every time. You're either going to get feel really good about yourself, you're going to get some type of like award or be recognized. Someone's going to be like, hey, man, good job. You get a pat on the back. Whatever that looks like, you're always going to get rewarded on earth for fighting for a cause. Okay, And this looks like anything. Fighting for a cause, when I say that, it looks like anything from protesting to giving to charity, any, anything in between, okay? But the reward is always temporary. It's only going to matter for so long. And this is the crazy thing about fighting for causes is that you don't, those causes are always going to change. They never stay the same. You're going to end up fighting for a cause. You're going to feel good about yourself. And then in 20 minutes, someone's going to bring up something else that's more important than that. And then you're going to end up fighting for another cause. Does that make sense? Okay. This reward's temporary. Everybody that fights for a cause in the world wants to be known as the good guy or at least associated with him. They want to stand on the side of what's right in the world's eyes. And that's the crazy thing. When I say these, these causes change all the time, what's right in the world's eyes, and you're probably thinking like, man, Charles, everything you're saying makes sense. Like, this actually sounds like good stuff. Why are you saying it in this tone that's, you're like, don't do that. <laughs> don't eat healthy. You know, it's kind of like, sounds weird. But hear me out. It's the reason behind what you're doing. When you're fighting for what's right in the world's eyes, that's a fluid concept. What's right in the world's eyes today, probably even at the beginning of Chi Alpha, will be different by the end of Chi Alpha. It's crazy. It's super, super transient. So think about that. When my friend spoke against me, I felt the need to defend myself because my identity was in what I was fighting for. 
And that's the world, okay? Their identity is in what they're fighting for. On the other hand, when we look at the kingdom of God or the upside-down kingdom, Jesus says, I mean, he talks about that verse, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and lie about you. You're like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Why would that be a good thing? It's all about how you react. Because Jesus says, he doesn't just say blessed are you when people insult you or or persecute you. He says blessed are you when all these things happen because of me. So there's something more to that. Contrasted with the world, the upside down kingdom is all about fighting for not just causes, but for a person, okay? They're fighting for one person, specifically Jesus. Charles Spurgeon has a quote, and he says, It's not when men truthfully speak evil concerning you, but when they say it falsely. Not when they say evil against you because of your ill tempers, which provoke them, but when they do it falsely, for Christ's sake, then blessed are ye. Essentially, he's not saying, oh, well, if you're a Christian and you, you know, you beat somebody up and then you go to jail, that's not persecution, okay? Like, you are in the wrong there. You're doing something wrong. He's saying, for my sake, you're doing this. Because you're living in obedience, when people lie about you, whatever that looks like, and I'm going to talk about that in a second, whatever that looks like, then you're blessed. Then you're happy. The upside-down kingdom is promised a reward. He says it right there. A promise or reward in heaven. It's not always going to be right now. Okay? It's not always going to be right now. You might not feel really good about yourself. You might not get like a, a pat on the back or anything like that when you fight for Jesus and when you're obedient to him. But you will eventually. And that's where our hope comes from. When you fight for a person and not just a cause, in the upside-down kingdom or the kingdom of God, you're on the side of truth, okay? You're no longer on the side of what's right in the world's eyes that's fluid and all these things, but you're fighting for capital T truth, which is Jesus. He called himself the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. When you're on his side, none of that stuff changes, so you're always fighting for something that's sound, something that's worth fighting for. In contrast to the world, in the kingdom of God, your identity comes not from what you're fighting for, but from who you're fighting for. 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul writes, That is why I'm suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I know whom I have believed. Such a sick concept. I read this poem by a guy named John Oxenham, super, super old guy, and he says this. I think it's up there. It says, not what I do believe, but whom? Who walks beside me in the gloom? Who shares the burden wearisome? Who all the dim way doth illume and bids me look beyond the tomb, the larger life to live? Not what I do believe, but whom? Not what, but whom? In the kingdom of God, you're always fighting, not for a cause, but for somebody. You're always fighting for Jesus. And there's always going to be so much so much um, opposition because the kingdom of the world, the one that we're talking about, isn't big enough to contain the kingdom of God. It's not big enough. And so when, you, when you're living in the kingdom of God, you're going to face opposition. It's, it's inevitable because they, the people in the world are always going to find 
their identity in something that they're fighting for, the what, and you're going to be finding your identity in something bigger than anything they can imagine. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it so well. He says, there is something in living the Christian life that brings out the best and the worst in others. It is a fact that because a Christian finds his identity in someone other than himself and has confidence in something bigger than him, that other people are either attracted to or absolutely hate it. They hate it because it means something about their own worldview. When you look at Jesus, are you attracted to him or running from everything he stands for and wanting to, th- to overthrow that? It says a lot about you, what you, be- sorry, it says a lot about what you believe, how you react to a holy man. It says a lot about what you believe, how you react to a holy man. It's this persecution, these lies. Back in the day, these lies were really, really easy to see. Um, Christians, like in the early church, were accused of cannibalism. Kind of probably guess why. Um, if you've ever taken communion before, they say they eat the flesh, they drink the blood. This one is like they should have changed it day one. Someone should have been there. They they called their <laughs> they called their weekly meeting like Chi Alpha. They would call it the Agape Feast, which just meant like the love feast. Sounds super weird. I don't, I don't know why they let that happen. Um, <laughs> I'm not okay with that. Uh, they, you know, they, they were accused of incest because they married people that they were like, oh, this is my brother, this is my sister, before that. And, and people were just confused. They couldn't understand it. But Dick Brogdon, um, one of our missionary friends says, when a man is called to suffer something for Christ, it is always a crucial moment. It is sharing in the suffering of Jesus. Sharing in the suffering of Jesus. Jesus did this before. He talks about this just like they persecuted the prophets before you. Jesus was a prophet, okay? He's a lot more than that, but he was a prophet too. He suffered. He himself asked God to take away. He called it his cup, but it was, it was his cross. It was the death that he had to die. And God said no. And he didn't just say like, all right, well, whatever. I'm just going to like get through this. No, he endured every second of it. He didn't try to escape the pain. He didn't try to, try to escape the hurt. But what he did, Jordan talked about, I can't believe you said that. It was so crazy. He overcame it. He came here to overcome this stuff so that we could, so we could share in not just his suffering, but we could share in his victory. So cool. The kingdom of God doesn't escape persecution. This is a, this is a pretty sweet quote about um, the Salvation Army. The old one, okay? The old one. Booth's, William Booth's success attracted not only supporters, but also enemies. Those who served in the army were pelted with hot coals, sprayed with tar and burning sulfur, beat, stoned, and even kicked to death in the streets. The Salvation Army resisted their enemies with a cheerful, God bless you, and a prayer. General Booth himself was often in the thick of it. When he was spit on one time, actually, all, all the people he was with, were spit on one time. Booth encouraged his fellow, fellow soldiers, don't rub it off. It's a medal. Wear this proudly. When you can identify, when you find your identity with who you're fighting for, you can wear persecution, lies, sin, like all these things against you as a medal. The kingdom of the, of the world gets the reward now, but it's just temporary. It's like hitting like, like nothing, and then the other people get like something really good. The kingdom of heaven, they run on a different economy. When bad things happen to good men on earth, 
they will be rewarded in heaven for eternity. There's a story. This book's called The Protector. Nobody's read it. Guarantee it. It's about a guy named Oliver Cromwell. No one, a couple people have heard of. I like that, Sean. I'm not talking about Oliver Cromwell. There's really, there's, he was in, he was in England, not in London, in the 1600s. Crazy, crazy persecution from the government to Christians. You know, like, in London? I thought that was like, you know, I was like, churches and everything there. Well, not then. It says, on one occasion, as the executioner was driving back the crowd, the martyr, foreseeing the evils that the king would bring upon his people, interfered, exclaiming, let them come and spare not that they may learn to suffer. Don't hide these people from what you're about to do to me. You're about to kill me in public. Let them watch. Let me be one of the prophets that you persecute that they see suffer. Another cool, another cool story is about this guy. He, he wrote a, he wrote basically like a pamphlet against the government. The government was like persecuting Christians. So he writes this pamphlet and they, they bring him in public and they saw off his ears. Okay, pretty nasty. Um, and then, this is even grosser. He doesn't back down. And so, sometime later, they bring him back and he just has stumps for his ears, right? And they saw those off too. And uh, you guys can come back up. It says, as he was walking down from the platform that he just got his stumpy ears cut off on, it says, on descending from the s- scaffold, he drew from his ear the sponge soaked with his blood and holding it up to the people, exclaimed, Blessed be my God, who hath counted me worthy, and of his mighty power hath enabled me to suffer anything for his sake. And as I have now lost some of my blood, so I am ready and willing to spill every drop that is in my veins in this cause, for which I have now suffered, which is for maintaining the truth of God and the honor of my king. He showed off, this bloody sponge as a, he counted that as a, as a medal. He counted this as a victory. He, he rejoiced and he was exceedingly glad, just like Jesus said to be in persecution, in suffering, because he identified himself not with the cause that he was fighting for, which was against a tyrannical king, a great cause to be a part of, but he identified himself with the king of kings who he loved and he knew was with him through every part of this. William Booth said, we must wake ourselves up or somebody else will take our place and bear our cross and thereby rob us of our crown. So this crown, what does it look like? It's the glory of knowing and serving the king who's worthy to be fought for, to find our identity in Jesus to go through whatever happens, just like the prophets in this book, in the Bible, all these guys that have gone before us and made a way. They've been persecuted. You know where they're at now? They're with, they have their crown on and they're walking with Jesus. Jesus called the persecuted blessed and he tells them, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. It's, it's like better translated be exceedingly glad is jump for joy. <laughs> jump for joy. So if you climb a mountain, you get to the top of a 14,000-foot mountain, 
you're you're really tired <laughs> i've done it before you're exhausted but you're not like oh man i'm so tired you know you're like you're not walking around you're like freaking out man taking pictures looking around looking at everything you lose something you find it you're like jumping for joy and this is the same joy that we want to that jesus says to feel when you're persecuted lied about and insulted crazy 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 idea the kingdom of the world can only say that they're in the world and they're oppressed by it. But in the kingdom of God, you can say that you're in the world, you've overcome it, and you have victory because of who your king is. So, last thing. Um, it's the rest of this quote. I only read part of it at the beginning. It says, uh, what are you living for? What is the deep secret purpose that controls and fashions your existence? What do you eat and drink for? What is the end of your marrying and giving in marriage, your money-making and toilings and plannings? Then he says this. Is it the salvation of souls, the overthrow of the kingdom of evil, and the setting up of the kingdom of God? If not, you may be religious, but I don't see how you can be a Christian. This whole semester, we've look at, we're looking at what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God what it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, whatever you want to call it. He says it like this, to be a Christian, the thing that we're living for, the person that we're identifying with is Jesus. And it's living for these three things, the salvation of souls, the overthrow of the kingdom of evil, and the setting up of the kingdom of God. To be a Christian means to stand on the side of truth, and not be concerned with what's right in the world's eyes. It's fighting for Jesus. If you aren't a Christian, you've got to ask yourself, what am I living for? Is it worth a temporary reward? Am I, am I tired of like it always changing for me to make it look that I'm doing the right thing? I'm keeping up with all these things. What would it take for you to stand on the side of truth and identify with someone who's bigger greater, loving, all these things, that's Jesus. And if you are a Christian, ask yourself the same question. These are huge questions, checks, but go even further. How do I react when, when my king is opposed? How do I react when the things that I'm living for, however, however big or small, whatever they are, how do I react when these things are opposed? And am I willing to be joyful and gracious when I'm persecuted because of Jesus. So, we're going to worship, I'm going to pray, and uh, yeah. Jesus, we love you. God, you are good. Thank you for loving us. Help us to find joy in you. Help us to find our identity in you, Lord Jesus. If we don't find our identity in you, Lord God, would you help us to to make a move and uh, and see and see that living for truth is better than living for what the world sees as right. We love you, Father God. We worship you. You never pray. Amen.